Good morning. Be blessed. We've already had church, so this is the icing on, on the cake, I think, hopefully. All right, so um, on April 17th, I'm sure you all remember that momentous occasion, right? You know, that was a Lord's Day, April 17th. And on that day, um, Pastor did, I think it was the second or third installment of a series um, in the likeness of his resurrection, which concluded not long ago. I think eight, eight parts. Nine. Is that the record? Woo! So you could, you, you could get busy on, on six or seven more of those, right? All right, well, consider this sort of ancillary or, or connected to that one, because on that day, Pastor got off the beaten path, and he did something called expository teaching on Romans chapter 6. You recall that? And uh, that was entitled Freedom from Sin. Praise Thank you, Jesus. I, we can't say freedom from sin without stopping to pause and thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm already excited. I think that's the sermon today. All right, we got a little bit more. All right. Freedom from sin. Well, today's teaching intersects with that teaching, and it goes into an avenue that's connected. It might be considered what they used to call a, a spinoff, uh, from, from one into a different topic. So today's teaching is uh, taking a glimpse behind the enemy lines. And that's all that we need to do because when it comes to having freedom from sin, the Bible gives us all the intel that we need uh, for victorious living. So this will be a two-part message. Uh, today is part one. And our master text uh, today is, uh, I'm, I'm concatenating two very connected uh, passages of Scripture, so stand if you would please, and uh, join me in honoring God in the reading of His Word. Uh, our master text today, Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Actually, I have verse 7 shown here. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. All God's people say... Amen, and thank you, Lord, for your word today. The Greek verb forms in these passages are used to express continuous action. It's called the present active participle. There's no need to bore you with all that technical terms. But these Greek forms in this passage are used to express continuous action. It is talking about a Christian or a believer that's come to Christ whose lifestyle is still stained and characterized and marked by ongoing sin. Christ died to save us from this present world, and this world that we live in is infested with sin. So this is not so much a discussion about one's salvation today. This is a discussion about a lifestyle um, of devotion and allegiance to God. You'll work your salvation out with him. If Jesus paid it all, who are you going to show allegiance to? The world system where the sin exists that he bled and died to remove from you? Why would you jump back in that pool? This is a matter of allegiance. Now, I am not uniquely qualified to talk about this today. 
but I am very qualified to talk about this today because that ugliness described me. I was a comfortable Christian in a comfortable church. I'm making eye contact with my daughter because she remembers this, and I um, publicly apologize to you for having dragged you into that and providing you with that terrible example. I wanted to be in the world, and I wanted to be in God's kingdom simultaneously, and my lifestyle reflected it, and it was confusing. But God, God's goodness never stopped running after me. And he caught me, and I surrendered again. And with every breath that I am able, I am going to sing, and I am going to teach and preach and praise all the goodness of God's glory and his goodness to me. Thank you, Jesus. In these texts, Paul and John were battling the same demonic teaching that the Gnostics and the Nicolaitans that you read about later in Scripture, they, the, the deception that being under grace was a license for sin. That same lie is being played out today by Christians who either intentionally or through deception and a lack of knowledge continue to miss the mark of, uh, of the Bible's clear uh, standard for living as aliens and sojourners in the world, not blending in with it. Right? right? Amen. But if you're like me now, and you've been in the church for a while, you're saying, hey, you know, that probably doesn't describe me. I, that's what I thought when it described me. The reason they call it deception is you don't know you're deceived until after you wake up from it, right? Yeah. So maybe, okay, maybe it doesn't describe you, but I hope that that's truly the case. But because the enemy is slick and subtle, we do well to heed the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 10. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's pride issue. Andrew Womack, in his book, Spirit, Soul, and Body, talks about and expounds upon in a hundred or so pages Scripture's teaching, the Apostle Paul, teaching that we human beings are three-part uh, creatures, that we are made of spirit and soul and body, and that it was Paul's desire, as it is God's desire, that we would keep our whole spirit and soul and body would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But although our spirits are sealed when we come to Christ, you notice, let me go back one. It says, let's look at the, at the, at the bullseye on that uh, diagram. Spirit is sealed. Well, this is an Andrew Womack teaching. And I agree with it. When you come to Christ, you're a new creation. That's scripture. The old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation, praise God. And you look in the mirror and then you hear yourself talk and you think, nah, that's not right. It's the spirit that's new. God made your spirit brand new. He brought you from the dead and he brought you back to life and you have the blameless, holiest spirit that you're ever going to have today because that is the work of God in you. It says, Scripture says, the Holy Spirit, you are sealed in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit cannot sin. And if He can't sin, then your spirit is sealed from sin and sin's effects. Now that's the good news. That's the good news. Here's the rest of the story. Your body and your soul, which is equivalent to your mind or the way you think, are not immune. Your body and your mind are left, we're in this world, 
And as long as we're in this world, the body and the soul are not immune. So Andrew Womack, in his same book, goes on and does his teaching. He says, sin gives access to, sin gives Satan access to your body and your soul. Which begs this question. Why give the enemy an opportunity to come against you? It's not a matter of your salvation, but why open the door for trouble? Right? Praise God. Well, another Andy uh, did some speaking on this. Uh, This was from his uh, June 4th teaching. And so our pastor, Andrew Robbins, uh, had reminded us of some of the consequences of sin, which are listed here. It will hinder your witness. It's like a dentist with stained teeth. You're not going to want to go to that one, right? Not necessarily. Undermine your faith and steal your joy. And the list of sins constantly, he didn't finish the list. He just gave you the, the, the light consequences, the easy ones. They're, they get worse from there. Yeah. And they, all, they go all the way to you being in a coffin. Yeah, right. right? And everything in between. Right. right? Divorce, unemployment, physical uh, ailments. Broken bones, it, it, it just, the sin only gets worse. That's why we must always, now, then please listen here. I know it's easy to gloss over sometimes, but please focus on what I'm saying here. That's why, because of those consequences, not a matter of our salvation, but because of what it does and the destruction that it brings in life, we must always consider the consequences of our actions and evaluate this whether our lifestyle and our choices are pleasing and honoring to Jesus. And we go off the track because we don't stop and pause to make that simple consideration. Is what I'm about to do or thinking about going to honor Jesus or not? And if the answer is, well, no, but it's going to honor me, you can guarantee that you're headed for trouble. And so if all that isn't enough to wake us up to reality, um, then the Bible's own graphic depiction of the horrors that Jesus endured on account of our sin should be a necessary and welcome reminder that God still hates sin. He still hates sin. The two principal reasons why modern Christians continue to sin are a lack of knowledge and a lack of faithfulness. You'll see the blanks in your bulletins today. So where you see the highlights with the underlines and all the bedazzlement on the screen, that's usually a clue that uh, that's a bulletin point that I'm wanting to emphasize. All right, so keep in mind this one thing, that... Hosea and Paul, who wrote these scriptures, were not addressing the world. They were addressing God's own people. Hosea writes, The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Whose people? My people. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the New Testament counterpart, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. And now, shedding some light on the matter, it adds uh, a little better, better accentuates or communicates the gravity of the situation. Look at the repetition and the cadence. No knowledge, lack of knowledge, no faithfulness, no knowledge. And what's the end result? Destruction, harm. So I'm going to take a little pause and talk about this congregation. If you're a member of this congregation, if you're here on a regular basis, you, our pastor 
has removed any excuse that you have for a lack of faithfulness or a lack of knowledge. Unless you just come here and take a nap. Right? I've been here for three years, and I, I mean, I am oozing with biblical truth just from the Sunday teachings. But that, I am so hungry for it. it, it I have some morning, noon, and night every day. But there is no excuse. If all you did was attend here, there's no excuse. Every Sunday at Blessed Life Fellowship is a demonstration of faith, of love, and straight-up, sound, full biblical teaching. Not just in our Sunday teachings, in our breakout groups. There's Tuesday groups, Wednesday groups, Thursday groups. There's prayer meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We are saturated and rooted and taught and practiced the whole Word of God at Blessed Life Fellowship. Right? Now, I don't want you to get mad at me for the next part. Still, in every church, there are some that are not as hungry for the Word, and as a result, they're not forfeiting their salvation. I'm not going to say that, but they're forfeiting every blessing that they could have by being assembled with God's family. And they're forfeiting the abundant and blessed life that could be theirs. The kingdom of God has very little in common with this world system, but it does have this one thing in common. As is true with the law of the land, ignorance is no excuse for breaking God's righteous requirements for the way he expects you to live. Ignorance is no excuse. Lack of knowledge is a dangerous thing, and lack of faithfulness, but lack of knowledge and lack of faithfulness, they create a void for the enemy to operate his primary weapon, which is deception, for coming against believers. Remember, I thought I was fine until I woke up from my drunken stupor, and you all just got to witness me apologize to my daughter in public. So we don't know we're deceived while we're deceived, right? It's a slick situation. Well, you know, lying is Satan's signature trait. He's the father of lies. And just to nail the point, Satan used deception to launch his first attack on humanity. Did he not? Yeah. He poured it on, didn't he? Sure did. Well, the New Testament is very vocal about um, deception and warning constantly about deception. Don't, uh, I, I mean, I just threw a smattering on the screen. If you're busy writing those down, don't panic. All you have to do is open a New Testament book and start reading. You will find a warning pretty quickly about deception. Yes? Right. But I put a few up here because these, these are prominent. Some of these might, uh, some of these might show up uh, later. And um, this next one kind of draws the point home. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is Paul concerned will be led astray? Not your body. Paul's, Paul's concern right here is focuses on your thinking. It's on your thinking. That's where deception happens. Satan first comes after your mind because he knows where the mind of a man or a woman or a college student or a teenager, where their mind goes, their body's going to follow. Their body is going to follow right along. Satan, that's his strategy. He baits your thinking. He draws you out from the flock, and then before you know it, you're entangled in something that you never dreamed was going to happen. Yeah? That's why the New Testament, in addition to warning believers about the subtle deceptions of Satan, hammers on the point to transform our minds with the, God, with the Word of God, most famously in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And in case you haven't looked at the New Living Translation, um, I really like... I think it really brings the, it to life. So I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but I have uh, some of the New Living Translation. Listen, 
Listen to this. It kind of comes alive here. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Take your body out of the way. God, your body's not going anywhere if you put it on God's altar. Put your body there. And then it says, this is, your, this is truly the way to worship him. Now, the next part. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The way you think. So this is where the deception happens. It's in your thoughts. And your body will follow along. Now, April Osborne, who's April Osborne? Tammy, if you want to know who April Osborne is, ask Tammy Pennington. So she and I have had a bit of an elaborate conversation, um, texting and uh, messaging here and there, but I pray that it's doing what it's intended to do with her book, April Osborne book. She's an evangelist and author. She's written a book called uh, Seeing Behind Enemy Lines, and I found it when I was researching for this message, A Glimpse Behind Enemy Lines. And um, so it is having a, I, I think it's having a notable effect in your life, in your power walk with God, because it's purely scripture. So you, if, if you're interested in that, see Tammy. And I might bring some points from April Osborne's book into my message next week. I haven't read deeply enough into it to know if, if that's going to happen. But she wrote this book, and here's some notable quotables from April Osborne. This, these notable quotables aren't, the first one's not in the book. I got this one from an interview that she was giving um, on a podcast. People need to get off the news, that is the world news, and get into the good news of Jesus. The second one came from a vision that she had in a conversation, uh, which is one of her giftings, by the way, she, uh, in her book, you will find that God has given her this gift of being able to go behind the, the visible lines and into the spiritual realm. And in that, one of those, in a conversation with Jesus, quoting Jesus, she says, wouldn't it be sad if I return, this is Jesus speaking, wouldn't it be sad if I return and everyone was on Facebook and not in my book? Hmm. Oof. And then the last one is a quote from the book, and it is her vision. She was allowed to go into uh, the devil's boardroom where the demons were doing their planning, and they were in a panic because the people at a certain congregation were, were really starting to praise and worship God and worshiping in the Spirit. And their, their plan of attack was, oh, keep them from reading their Bibles. Ignorance always wins the day. So they said, keep them from reading their Bibles. Ignorance always wins the day. Right. Going behind enemy lines. Um, you know, it's the stuff of spies and Espionage, and especially in times of warfare and uh, heightened political tensions. I've lived it all my life. They've called it the Cold War. You know, I'm not phased by much. Um, I'm not happy about it, but it's not rocking my boat so bad that I'm panicked about anything. But make no mistake, you know, the society around us this world system, they're warring against the church. And in the United States, they're doing it now at a feverish pitch. But the Bible takes us behind enemy lines. And the intel that we receive from its passages informs us that we are the victors and we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And that we, we, his soldiers, are now in this moment more than conquerors to the glory of God, who is to be praised forever. But this concept of espionage um, and going behind enemy lines, it brought to mind, if you're an American in my generation, 
the Central Intelligence Agency. Yes, or we call it the CIA. So I did a brief web search on what's the mission of the CIA, and here's what I found. The mission of the CIA is to gather, process, and analyze national security information from around the world through the use of human intelligence. Friends, that's as much a problem statement as it is a mission statement. The, the, the CIA was founded solely on human intelligence, but makes no appeal to godly wisdom. As with all purely human institutions and endeavors, corruption has set in and now they're spying on us instead of the enemy. Lord help us. It's an upside down world. But I know the winner. I know the victor and I know the king. Yeah, there is a superior weapon at your disposal. It's called the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. The Christian has a supernatural intelligence agency whose director and commander is Jesus Christ. And in Him, the living Word, and in our hands, this written Word, we have supernatural and spiritual intel for victorious living at every point. You know, it does me good and it encourages me when you get excited like I do. Yeah, then I don't feel so weird. I say, it's like, he, he must feel weird all the time. What's that? Doug, Doug Bringle, you know what that is. You've, you've put those on before, haven't you? Do you want to, tell, you want to tell the younger people what that might be in case they don't know? 3D glasses, and what do they do? A little bit more from you, Doug, and then I'll leave you alone for a little while. Not, not for too long, but for a little while. Yeah, so what, what, do they, what are they used for? Absolutely perfect. They bring new dimension into what you see. Well, you know, that's what we need to wake up to deception. The devil parades around like what? Like a roaring lion. We're going to get to that one. But before that, he parades, he masquerades as an angel of light. You don't recognize him at first. He's not going to come up and say, hey, I'm the red skelly great horned devil and I'm going to deceive you and... Uh, trick you out of your blessings. Oh gosh, no, he looks harmless. He looks like your friend. And he's going to take you somewhere and introduce you to something that's really going to enhance your life. Right? That's the way things start. But you know, we have spiritual eyes. We read the scripture with our spirit as well as with our mind. God's going to protect us every time. So when you put on your spiritual glasses... The devil becomes exposed, no matter how innocent he may look, he's exposed for who he really is. He's nothing more than an angel who challenged God, and he was dislodged from heaven, and he's been disgraced by Jesus Christ, and now he roams the earth in desperation because misery loves company. He's pathetic. He tried on me again this morning while I'm walking my dog. You know what? He's a jerk. I can, I, I smell him. I, I actually stopped and said, I smell you. <laughs> get behind me. No, and then it's like, no, get, there's where you are. And I put my foot down on him and I walked my dog and I, he, he was gone. That was completely all I had to do. Let's hand clap for God. Praise you. Lord. Now, here's the rest of the message today. And I'm going to, I'm, my cadence is going to change. I'm going to lay a foundation. The foundation's built, and I'm going to be hitting, hitting these points. And I want you to stay with this. Stay connected on every one. Satan today is devising a scheme to make you like him. He wants you to become dislodged, disgraced, and desperate. All right.
I said, I'd quicken the pace. I'm ready. Um, a glimpse behind uh, enemy lines shows us that Satan first was dislodged from the family of God. That's how he ended up here anyway. He was dislodged from the family of God, and now he is roaming the earth, and he's looking for someone to pester. Well, it says he wants to steal. What else? Kill. Kill and destroy. Yeah, when he, that, so that, that's his business. That's not our business. Our business is kingdom business. Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, and in chapter 2, verse 2, very interesting scripture. There's a boardroom or a heavenly courtroom scene, and to our surprise, the devil enters there. Apparently, in this, this realm, he has some access. And God said, where have you come from? And he said, what? From the earth, from walking in, up and down on it. Right? And again, he says that in, um, in uh, the second chapter. So he's been dislodged, and he's walking up and down the earth, and now he has an agenda... And so he's actively, if you have your bulletins, and don't be too hasty with the answer on this one, he is actively seeking to dislodge blank from God's family and the safety of Christ's flock. You might be thinking, well, I'm going to fill in that blank with, he is actively looking to dislodge me. Because that's where our minds first go. He's actively looking to dislodge. I guarantee that's true. He's looking to dislodge every one of us from the family of God that you're sitting in here today. Not a matter of your salvation, a matter of your blessing. He wants to steal it from you by removing you from here. So you probably put me. But if you're a parent, he also wants to dislodge your son. Maybe that's what goes in the blank. Maybe that's your motivator. He's after your daughter. And if you've got gray shingles on your roof, you may put granddaughter or your niece or your neighbor's beautiful little children that play out in the, the lawn. Be careful how you answer the question, but I can guarantee you it's every human being ever born. That's what goes in the blank. And if you love somebody besides yourself, there's a, there's a lot of motivation uh, in the way that you answer that question. His chief mode of operation, and because we got this little espionage thing, I thought it would be cool to put MO. That's, you know, like we're talking about Intel and the MO. So uh, it's, you got to admit it's kind of cool. All right. I, it's geeky, yeah. But, so his chief, his chief MO for luring Christians from the church is by deceiving them into believing that they can be devoted to God while remaining friends on earth. And, you know, it's not just deceive. There's plenty of words or synonyms for what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to deceive you. Um, another, here's a list of, of other synonyms. Bamboozle, hoodwink, Hornswoggle, swindle, buffalo, con, dupe, and snooker. <laughs> snooker. I looked it up. S not snicker, snooker. Snooker. It's nothing but a lie to dislodge you from the family of God and the safety of the flock. Satan was dislodged. He wants to dislodge you, but the Bible takes Christ followers safely behind the enemy lines, and it provides the crucial intel to subvert the enemy's scheme to dislodge you from the body of Christ. So this is your bulletin bingo page right here. So after this, you don't really need your bulletins, and we can just focus, because I'm going to expound on each one of these intel points briefly touch on each one 
Um, and then we will do a summary. We'll be over. Intel number one, be sober-minded. And these scriptures are in your bulletin, so you don't have to, to hurry to write them down. Number two, intel number two, to keep from being dislodged from God's family, is to real, realize that the world and its wares are temporary. Because there's only, don't fall for this deception, there's no in-between place between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom. You're not, there's no buffer zone, there's no gray area. When you walk out of God's kingdom, you're in the kingdom of the world. Well, he gives his angels charge over you to protect you in all your ways. If you're faithful to him, you can walk through this world. You can, you can trample through this world. But if you're walking into this world for its pleasures and wares, watch out. There's a completely different paradigm going on there. Until number three, be single-minded. I'm really looking forward to getting to that page or that slide. And number four, get plugged in. You know, it's hard to be dislodged if you plugged in and you dig in very deeply. So get plugged in to keep from getting dislodged. And my brother, anyone who wants these slides, I can, I'll email them to you. So if you, if you want a, the image, I see some of you taking some photos. I can, I can hand you the slides. They'll be probably a little bit better. All right, so um, so let's just get let's just dig into the first one. Biblical intel number one: be sober-minded. Now we get to this one. I gave you the wrong cue earlier, by the way. So uh, the devil is like a roaring lion, and he's looking for someone to pet, someone to bless. No, no. He's looking for someone that he can separate from the flock and jump on them, and that's called dinner. And that's, that's his intention with you. James 4.4, 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So remember, there's a kingdom of God, and then there's no buffer zone, and now there's this place. And when you're walking in there, and you keep going, and you get further away from your, from, from your, your camp, and then you start liking what's happening out here. You know what? The herd was over there eating grass, but I found some clover, and now I'm going to stay right here. And when you're bending down for clover, there's uh, something... Something else can happen, um, and it's usually not going to be pretty if you're a gazelle. That, that was a gazelle analogy. I'm sorry if you missed that one. Yeah. If you're a gazelle. All right. Mm -hmm. But you know what? At every turn, there's a choice. God did not remove your free will when you were saved, and we decide where we go, we decide when we go and what we do when we get there, right? That's a, it's on us. A responsible Christian asks this question. Again, focus time. A responsible a Christian asks this question. Is what I am doing or about to do in God's will for me right now? My decision, is it in God's will for me right now? Or does he have something else in mind? If the answer is no, and you do it anyway, that's what friendship with the world is. And that's enmity with God. Because people say, well, what is friendship with the world? Well, it's asking the question, God, is this where you want me to be and what you want me to do? Getting the answer, no, but doing it anyway. That is being friends with the world. The reason that most Christians fall into that deception, the one that dislodges them from the family, is they don't pause to ask the question. They don't want the answer. Maybe. I've played that game a lot. And if you're like me, you've probably done the same thing. And it kept me out of God's family. And it kept me out of the blessing. But I thought everything, you know, okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to go to a party on Saturday and... 
I'm going to drink and smoke. Then I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Well, guess what? I didn't go to church on Sunday. Didn't feel like it. That's a horrible thing to say. But that happened to me. And that's why I say I am qualified here to talk on this topic. I'm not preaching a sermon at you. I'm sharing a valuable lesson with my brothers and sisters. Okay, well, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some of you have no knowledge of God. And we had seen that before, but that is the New Testament equivalent to, um, I'm sorry, that is the, that is the equivalent to, to the James. It's another accentuation of the same situation. You know, Jesus said that in the world we'd have trouble, and the more we hang around in it, the more apt we are to find it. And the world and everything in the world that has an intoxicating effect. And I'm not talking about things necessarily in the world because we're still in the world, but it's the things of the world. Jesus said, I'm leaving you in the world, but you are not of the world. So it's, the things of the world have an intoxicating effect. And Paul uses that analogy and thinking through that says, wake up from your drunken stupor. And so biblical intel number two, there's no excuse for us. We need to remain sober-minded if we're to remain in the family where we're blessed. Biblical intel number two, the world and its wares are temporary. We... This Ecclesiastes text, by the way, you've got to have the right context for this. The author of this text is talking about the outcome or the futility of seeking his own glory and his own posterity. And he says this, We don't remember what happened in the past, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing after the wind. It does have a New Testament equivalent. It's found in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world nor the things it offers, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. The intoxicating things are all going to be gone. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So let's get a case in point. The fleeting glory in a, in a fickle world. So a good case in point for what we're saying here came up in the men's group um, a few weeks ago, and it was uh, sort of along these lines of what matters and, and what doesn't. But um, Max Bayer Sr. was the topic, and a lot of people have no idea who he is. So I found this old picture of Max Bayer Sr. He's a happy-looking guy. And it seems like he might have had every reason to, to be happy because um, he was on top of the world. But you don't know who he is. He was a former heavyweight boxing champion from 1934 to 35. That's a big deal. And he is a, he's an actor or star in nearly 20 box office movies during the 1940s, 1950s. He was a television personality. He was everywhere. You probably know his son better than you know him, Jethro Bodine. <laughs> Max Bayer Jr. is his son, Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Max Bayer Sr., Former boxing heavyweight world champion and movie star is no longer in the world. He passed away in 1959 at the age of 50. Sadly, he couldn't take his championship belt and movie reels with him wherever he went. Those, that belt and those movie reels remain here and they're corroding and they're gathering dust even as I speak. 
This world is a fickle place. And the things we do in it for ourselves, they fall and they are forgotten. But here's the good news. Praise our God. Praise our God who has stored up for us treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. For those who love God and who live for Christ Jesus. I sincerely hope that Max Baer found the Lord Jesus Christ before he passed away. Because I assure you his championship belt is still here on this earth that's going to burn up one day. And we're going to all be escaping it before that happens. Praise God. Amen. Biblical intel number three, be single-minded. It's called making up your mind for crying out loud. And by the way, I was, I was quoting the pastor on that one because he said that a few weeks ago in his sermon. I thought, I think I want to say that. And so I did. So now it's come to pass. Make up your mind. Joshua had a stiff-necked people. They, God did everything for those people, and they, they did their conquests, and they went in, they had houses they didn't have to build, and they had vineyards that they didn't plant, and they had the fat of the land and still were grumbling. And Joshua, toward the end, says, All right, already. Make up your mind. If, if, if serving God's too much for you, go serve one of the other gods that in this land that he just conquered for you. Go ahead, be a traitor. But as for me and my house, what will we do? We will serve the Lord. And Elijah had something else to say in 1 Kings. How long will you waver between two opinions? Pick a side for crying out loud. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Remember that deception? There might be a buffer zone between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. There's not. There's no buffer zone here between those two options. But we, we want it. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. But man, how we fail on that one. That point alone... It's saying to us that, well, when I read it, I think I have the same problem. Because Paul was dealing with the, with the Colossians, they were having the same problem that the stiff-necked people in, uh, uh, as the Israelites from ancient times were having. So Paul said this to them, but you know, we still have the same problem. I, I, I struggle with this too, but I found a way where... Uh, where I'm winning, where the tide is turning for me and the mind can be set on heavenly things and not uh, the earthly things. This is why I personally choose to avoid all news and media to the best of my ability. I kid you not. I do not look for it. I don't want it. I'm not saying that occasionally there's, there's not something that will pop up I mean, even where I work, they're trying to put smatterings of things on our computer screen. Yeah. But to the very best of my ability, I don't seek it. Yeah. And, um, but you know what? I wouldn't even have to because it doesn't take long for me to find out what's happening because I got, there's a lot of people that just can't wait to tell me. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm never, you know, without... But we are to set our minds on things above. We have to pick one or the other. And it's not wise or healthy or scriptural to dwell on both. It's not. Why? Because earthly things are worldly things. And thinking about them will draw you toward them. It's a demonic attack that will dislodge you and take you away from God's family where you're blessed among the fold. And you know what about the news? Jesus informed us ahead of time in this world that we're going to have tribulations. Things may be going from bad to worse, but praise God, Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Amen. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. That's the news report we choose. 
Let's focus on that news report. I can't even believe the other one anyway. I don't know what lies they're putting in there. You can't, you can't even sift through it. It's a chasing after the wind. The chasing after the wind. And then, there is the greatest commandment of all. You must, it doesn't sound like an option, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. How much of our hearts are we to love God with? With how much of our, our mind and our soul? All? Well, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that that was a mighty tall order. That's a mighty tall order. And that I strive, and I even struggle to keep it. So what shall we say then? It's too difficult, so let's not be overly concerned with it. By no means. That's being double-minded. If God commands something, then He provides the means for doing it. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our power for keeping the greatest commandment. We can love God with all our mind. Why? Because, as Paul says in another place, we have the mind of Christ. We must be single-minded toward God, or else we run the risk not of losing our salvation, per se, but we run the risk of being dislodged from so many blessings that are found here in God's family. Last intel. Biblical intel number four, get plugged in. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another. May have had a, a bit of a typo there. Stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, you know, the word, think about the wording here. Let us consider. You know, that word consider carries advanced planning, right? Looking ahead and thinking of a way that I can bless my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not always just winging it. You know, step me back. I want to bless Donna. Maybe I can find something, you know, unique about her to focus on or some commendable thing. But to be able to actually think and consider how we're going to do it and what better opportunity do we have presented to us to do it than right here on Sunday mornings, right? Not when we feel like it, not when it's convenient, but especially if we don't feel like it, and especially if it's not convenient, it's probably going to mean all the more to God for us to be here when, we, when it's a bit more of a, of a sacrifice for us. It's a commitment to the Christian community. It's the responsibility that we bear for one another to assemble to spur each other on. And I... I can tell you that I understand there are some legitimate reasons why you can't attend. And those circumstances do exist. And I can tell you, yes, as you think someone can come to church and their heart be far from God. And yes, um, we can say that uh, wherever you go, you're making a statement. And assembling together in God's house is at least some show of allegiance to the things of God. So for those legitimate circumstances like sickness or making a living, tending to someone, those things are there. Jesus said that he would leave uh, that on the Sabbath, that he would go into a ditch to rescue a, a sheep or another human being. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And usually that's where your body's going to be. So we're not to be dislodged from one another. Dear brothers and sisters, we're to meet together and encourage each other. One needs the other. And without it, some may and can fall away. It says to know, as to do this more and more as the day approaching, 
I'm looking around. Don't you feel the day approaching? Can you feel? I'm not going to be one of these doomsdayers that sets a date. But I can look around me and I can, I can know what Scripture says and it says what to look for. And more and more of it's fulfilled in my days. In my, in my 59 short years, I, the Bible could not be more accurate. And uh, so more and more we need each other as, as we see the day approaching. He, Ephesians 2.10 We can be plugged in through good works. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This isn't a matter of salvation by works. Ephesians 2.8 says clearly that we're saved by grace through faith. So it is a discussion of allegiance and it is a discussion of dedication. And it's a discussion of fulfilling God's expectation for us. Um, there's no better place that I think that um, we could get ourselves rooted into the family than through serving in our local church. Don't be stingy. Everyone has something to offer. You don't fall for this last deception. There's a deception that Jesus or that Satan will use to dislodge you from God's family, and that is you don't have anything to offer God's family. Or you have very little to offer. So since you don't have much that you can offer, we sure could use you over here. And by the way, it's a good cause. So, getting, getting yourself plugged in means not falling for that deception. I can guarantee you, and I have the scriptures here, everybody is needed, and everybody has something to offer. So I'll leave you here with an analogy from Pastor Rob Hurt of Come As You Are Ministries here in Columbus. He said, if someone says to you, well, I'm just a toenail in the body of Christ... Ask them if they know what it feels like to have their toenail dislodged from their toe. Yeah. What's it feel like? And you know, it's not just the toe that's involved. The hand has to put on the Band-Aid and put on the ointment. And then special care now has to be given by the whole foot. And you're probably going to, your leg might walk with a limp. Everybody in the body is going to be affected by that toenail because it will consume valuable resources. And if you had provided that toenail and been the best toenail that you could be, all of those other resources could go to expanding the kingdom of God. Vlad, Vlad Soviet says this. He said, I didn't get a special, world-famous evangelist now, an author, said he never got a revelation from God until he started doing the work of the church, not the, the stage work. This was janitorial and custodial work that he was doing when he began to get his revelation that he was going to be a youth pastor and a, and a world influencer for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that that's going to happen to every one of us, but God is faithful to reward you when you're faithful to serve him. And that's a guarantee. Praise God for all of his goodness. His goodness is running after you. Don't make it difficult on him by running in the wrong direction. I have seen enough. I want to run to God and run to his family. And he put that love in my heart for y'all. And that love should be in your heart for the rest of us as well. The nutshell, Satan wants to dislodge, and I leave it blank because that was one of my key points, and Pastor, I'm going to ask you to come up shortly and dismiss us here. Um, Satan's primary weapon is deception, and he wants to use his weapon to dislodge you from all the blessings that you can have in your family 
with Jesus Christ and your human family, the body of Christ. But we have a glimpse behind enemy lines, and we already know that through sober-mindedness and single-mindedness and an understanding that anything that we accomplish here is it's, it's futile and that's fickle. The world that we're in is fickle. And finally, to understand that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What you invest your time in, that is where you're going to be rooted. And there's no better way to keep from being unplugged than to dig in deep and hold on. Pastor, would you come and dismiss us? I hope, I hope you were blessed with that message today.